Well, the word humility is not just a familiar word, it's a familiar concept. I think it's a concept that most Christians would say was really important. But after that, it gets a bit more difficult. So the question then becomes, what does it actually look like? Uh, a person might say, you see the stars in the background behind me there, a person might say, looking up at the night sky, wow, I feel so humbled. Or they might greet visitors at, um, to their home by saying, welcome to my humble abode. Or they might talk about someone uh, having to eat humble pie. Or someone needing a good dose of humility. Or it might be a different guise that comes to you. It might be a really gentle, quiet, self-effacing person just sitting alongside you and saying, well, actually, yeah, I, I, I consider myself to be a, a really humble person. Now, what do we make of those sort of statements? Uh, is humility a personality trait, trait for instance? Is, is it something uh, you're born with? Or, or is humility something that, that we can cultivate or something that we must cultivate because it doesn't come naturally to us? A comedian once said that he was so humble and proud of the fact. Is humility a virtue to be proud of? Uh, doesn't the person who needs to say they're humble actually think they're pretty awesome? It's not easy to get a handle on this concept of humility. And I think part of our confusion is because our culture has a love-hate relationship with humility. On the one hand, the primary driver of our society is self-promotion, self-fulfillment. And this inevitably pushes people into being competitive and consumerist. Uh, it gives you a mindset of those two things because what, what it means is that others around you are potentially a threat to your sense of self, therefore you're competitive. Or others around you provide the resources that you need to utilize and exploit so that you can feel well about yourself, a consumerist. In job interviews, uh, nowadays we don't just tell them we have the skills, we actually have to convince the person interviewing us that we're actually better than everybody else and that we, uh, we should have that job by rights. A terrible environment uh, to apply for a job these days, I think. So that's on one hand, but on the other hand, our culture really punishes people who are deemed to be too self-promoting, too self-assured. Uh, we call that the tall poppy syndrome. Because it loves to dish out a big dose of humility to people who've stepped out of their place. We like to put them back in their proper place. Why do we do that? Well, I think it's so that we could all be comfortable. So here's the confusion. On the one hand, we have to be self-promoting, but at the same time, we have to show the right amount of humility. 
Now, what that does, I think, is reduce humility, as we understand it in our culture, to a process called virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. That is, we ascribe to ourselves a virtue which becomes a signal to others around us that I am both a good person and acting within the acceptable parameters of culture and society. What that does then is allows us to pursue aggressively uh, my own interests. As long as, that's the, the self-promoting side, I can pursue as aggressively as I want my own interests, providing I virtue signal that I have awareness of the need to be humble, that I can convince people I am actually hum humble, and that I'm actually working within the bounds of what society says is tolerable self-promotion. It's a weird sort of thing, but I think that's how it works at, at, at a, a nuanced level. Now, um, I think I'm already on a hiding to nothing with this. Uh, Uriah Heap. Has anybody ever heard of Uriah Heap? At least three people. Right, okay. You don't count because you didn't hear about him until the end of the beginning of this week. Um, so a character, a horrible character, a David Copperfield. Actually, truth be known, I haven't heard about him until this week. <laughs> Alison researched him for me. So Uriah Heap, um, a horrible character in David Copperfield. He's a good example of virtue signaling. He knew that he had to stay within his station in life. And so he was very keen to let everybody know that he was a humble person. But behind the scenes, he was known as a schemer. He worked to hurt and destroy people to exploit them. And there we have the problem. A view of humility which we've easily come to accept and value in our society. It's all right to pursue your own interests, be aggressive as you like in that, self-promote, providing you manage to maintain the balance of a virtue signal that says, well, actually, I want you to know I'm actually a humble person. Now, I think that confusion is, is uh, bled into the church. It's a big issue for church families like ours. On the one hand, the Bible has repeated references to God's love for humility and hatred of pride and arrogance. But again, come back to the question, what is it to be a humble Christian? How would we see humility in our church family? And do we value humility as the Bible defines it to us? We see the answer to the question in how Jesus models humility. And I'm, I'm saying in brackets there that, that because when we look at this model of Jesus, we're always going to find that model hard to accept and hard to value because it exposes our self-interest, our self-centeredness. If you look at verse 5, I'm going to take this phrase through the whole of the sermon this morning. Verse 5 in chapter 2, one that Dave looked at last week, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, and the Greek there is, which is already yours in Christ Jesus. So if we want to see the model of humility, what we're actually seeing is not just a theory, so it's not a definition of humility, 
It's a model of the mind of Jesus. It's a worked example of the overflow of Christ's heart. It's attitude and perspective. David took, through his, uh, took us through this in detail last week. I'm just going to try and summarize. Uh, so attitude and perspective. Jesus is really and truly God, and he alone has the right to be proud. He alone has the right to be protective of his heavenly status, his power, his prestige, his influence, his reputation, his sovereignty. And he has the perfect right to command service from every creature in this world. But Jesus didn't see those as a platform for self-display, nor a launching pad for self-advancement. Rather, Jesus took all of that and put it in the context of an opportunity for self-denial, an opportunity to pour himself out in service of others. And so instead of grasping, we see in the mind of Christ, we, we, we see the mind of Christ in decisive commitment on the part of Jesus to living out obedience for the glory of his Father. And that's verses 7 through to 11, essentially. And it goes like this, somewhere like this. In obedience to his Father's purpose and salvation, and verse 11, ultimately to bring glory to the Father, and at huge personal cost, Jesus made a conscious decision. His conscious decision was to relinquish his right of absolute sovereignty. to become a low-status human being. No power, no position, no reputation, no sovereignty. And he followed that commitment all the way through to death on the cross as a criminal, cursed and forsaken. A conscious decision. to live obedience for the glory of his Father. And we're told then, in those same verses, that the Father was delighted in response to Jesus' action. But we need to note here, he wasn't just delighted in the death of Christ to achieve salvation. I think that he was delighted in the whole mind of Christ. That is, the Father was delighted in the sort of person that Jesus showed himself to be. The way he looked at things in this world. The values he cherished as he made that decision to go to his death. The principles he observed in achieving salvation for his sinful, undeserving people. And the delight of the Father then immediately exalts Jesus. Returning him to that which he has always been, even in death. Lord of the universe. 
My friends, Christ was exalted because he demonstrated a proper sense of self. Living obediently under God's purpose, wanting only the Father's approval, and being totally committed to serving his sinful, undeserving people in their need, and ultimately saying no to self-interest. That's what delighted the Father about Jesus. So where does that leave us? Well, my friends, humility is not a passive personality trait, not as the Bible models it to us here in Jesus. Humility is not a passive personality trait so that one person has it and another person doesn't. Nor is humility just a collection of personal characteristics or attributes such as being self-effacing or, or generous or thoughtful or gentle. Most likely those characteristics will be evident in someone who's seeking to live out the mind of Christ, but that of itself isn't the heart of the mind of Christ. Humility at its heart is a heart attitude, a heart attitude overflowing practically in purposeful commitment to the pathway of obedience, regardless of personal cost. Ultimately, for the sake of bringing honor to the Lord and doing what is best for sinful, undeserving people that we live amongst. That's a big step away from the way humility is thought of and practiced in our society. So how do we move towards living humility? Or how do we move towards developing the mind of Christ in every circumstance? Well, I just want to give three minor points in here. First is we've got to understand the power of humility. Even Uriah Heep recognized that he had a little bit of power. What is the power of humility? Well, the power of humility is being who you are in Christ. Again, verses 1 to 5, that verse 5 where I started, and, it's, and that's a summary of verses 1 to 5. Have this mind among you, which is already yours in Christ. My friends, we need to hear this next statement. If we are Christians, if you are this morning are a Christian, if you are already in Christ, you are already connected practically and really and completely into the mind of Christ. You already enjoy the practical outworking of the mind of Christ as his spirit, verse 2, renovates you from the inside out. That is the Spirit's job, to develop in you the mind of Christ. In verse um, 20, uh, earlier, verse 11, I think it was in chapter 1, it's described as the fruit of righteousness. Here's the point here. 
if we want to know the power of humility, it's engaging with what we already are. We do not have to create humility. Our challenge as Christians is to express the mind of Christ that we already have by virtue of being in Christ. And as Paul's big themes come out in his letter, we express the mind of Christ in joy together, in unity, in partnership in the gospel. So all these things, joy, partnership in the gospel and unity, are underpinned by the mind of Christ or humility. Christ's humility actually results in God's people being united with him and with one another in new salvation community. If you look at the end of verse 10 and 11, Christ's humility is the thing that achieves God's purpose and salvation, and God's purpose and salvation is the reunification of his alienated people with himself in a new salvation community. Humility produces the unity, results in the unity. Inseparable connection. Now, of course, we want to talk about unity on a basis altogether different oftentimes. Uh, sorry, it's satisfied merely to virtue signal humility while keeping your distance from Christ personally and keeping a guarded commitment to obedience. So my final sentence takes you to the chilling reality of verse 21. So if you've got your Bible open, open, look at it now. There's a chilling reality in this verse. And I want to suggest to you this morning that every one of us finds ourselves in this verse. Let me read it to you. They all seek their own interests. Wow, what a statement that is. The idea of humility Seeing the mind of Christ in action is obviously a rare thing for Paul. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So here's the, here's the question. I say you're, we're all in that verse. The only question is which clause of that verse, there's two clauses, which clause best describes you? Humility, frequently used word. But Paul says here it's a very rare commodity indeed in the church. Which clause describes you? Let me pray. Lord, I pray again, as I've prayed so often after opening your word, that we stand exposed before it. Your word is that uh, living two-edged sword that divides deep into our hearts and exposes that which is truly there. So, Lord, help us to contemplate that verse 21 in all its chilling reality that in the church community such as ours, that word humility can be used so frequently and yet 
if what Paul says is true there, it's actually something that approximates or some caricature of humility, but true humility is a rare commodity. Help us then, Lord, to find ourselves as those who are truly interested in the welfare and, and advancing the honor of Christ. Amen. Thanks, David. Just a brief summary then. Um, Jesus is our example of humility in life. And he's our experience of humility in his death and resurrection on the on in true joy, true unity, true partnership in this church family. Or would he call you out as a grumbling, complaining, dissatisfied person, a Uriah Heap type character, driven by self-interest, satisfied merely to signal, uh, sorry, satisfied merely to virtue signal humility, while keeping your distance from Christ personally, and keeping a guarded commitment to obedience. So my final sentence takes you to the chilling reality of verse 21. So if you've got your Bible open, open, look at it now. There's a chilling reality in this verse, and I want to suggest to you this morning that every one of us finds ourselves in this verse. Let me read it to you. They all seek their own interests. Wow, what a statement that is. The idea of humility, seeing the mind of Christ in action, is obviously a rare thing for Paul. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So here's the, here's the question. I say you're, we're all in that verse. The only question is which clause of that verse, there's two clauses, which clause best describes you? Humility, frequently used word. But Paul says here it's a very rare commodity indeed in the church. Which clause describes you? Let me pray. Lord, I pray again, as I've prayed so often after opening your word, that we stand exposed before it. Your word is that uh, living two-edged sword that divides deep into our hearts and exposes that which is truly there. So, Lord, help us to contemplate that verse 21 in all its chilling reality that in the church community such as ours, that word humility can be used so frequently, and yet if what Paul says is true there, it's actually something that approximates or some caricature of humility, but true humility is a rare commodity. Help us then, Lord, to find ourselves as those who are truly interested in the welfare and, and advancing the honor of Christ. Amen.
Thanks, David. Just a brief summary then. Um, Jesus is our example of humility in life. And he's our experience of humility in his death and resurrection on the true joy, true unity, true partnership in this church family. Or would he call you out as a grumbling, complaining, dissatisfied person, a Uriah Heap type character, driven by self-interest, satisfied merely to signal, uh, sorry, satisfied merely to virtue signal humility while keeping your distance from Christ personally and keeping a guarded commitment to obedience. So my final sentence takes you to the chilling reality of verse 21. So if you've got your Bible open, open, look at it now. There's a chilling reality in this verse. And I want to suggest to you this morning that every one of us finds ourselves in this verse. Let me read it to you. They all seek their own interests. Wow, what a statement that is. The idea of humility, seeing the mind of Christ in action, is obviously a rare thing for Paul. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So here's the, here's the question. I say you're, we're all in that verse. The only question is which clause of that verse, there's two clauses, which clause best describes you? Humility, frequently used word. But Paul says here it's a very rare commodity indeed in the church. Which clause describes you? Let me pray. Lord, I pray again, as I've prayed so often after opening your word, that we stand exposed before it. Your word is that uh, living two-edged sword that divides deep into our hearts and exposes that which is truly there. So Lord, help us to contemplate that verse 21 in all its chilling reality. That in the church community such as ours, that word humility can be used so frequently. And yet, if what Paul says is true there, it's actually something that approximates or some caricature of humility. But true humility is a rare commodity. Help us then, Lord, to find ourselves as those who are truly interested in the welfare and and advancing the honor of Christ. Amen. Thanks, David. Just a brief summary then. Um, Jesus is our example of humility in life. And he's our experience of humility in his death and resurrection on the... On true joy, true unity, true partnership 
in this church family? Or would he call you out as a grumbling, complaining, dissatisfied person, a Uriah Heap type character, driven by self-interest, satisfied merely to signal, uh, sorry, satisfied merely to virtue signal humility, while keeping your distance from Christ personally, and keeping a guarded commitment to obedience. So my final sentence takes you to the chilling reality of verse 21. So if you've got your Bible open, open, look at it now. There's a chilling reality in this verse. And I want to suggest to you this morning that every one of us finds ourselves in this verse. Let me read it to you. They all seek their own interests. Wow, what a statement that is. The idea of humility, seeing the mind of Christ in action, is obviously a rare thing for Paul. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So here's the the question. I say we're all in that verse. The only question is which clause of that verse, there's two clauses, which clause best describes you? Humility, frequently used word. But Paul says here it's a very rare commodity indeed in the church. Which clause describes you? Let me pray. Lord, I pray again, as I've prayed so often after opening your word, that we stand exposed before it. Your word is that uh, living two-edged sword that divides deep into our hearts and exposes that which is truly there. So, Lord, help us to contemplate that verse 21 in all its chilling reality that in the church community such as ours, that word humility can be used so frequently. And yet, if what Paul says is true there, it's actually something that approximates or some caricature of humility, but true humility is a rare commodity. Help us then, Lord, to find ourselves as those who are truly interested in the welfare and, and advancing the honor of Christ. Amen. Thanks, David. Just a brief summary then. Um, Jesus is our example of humility in life. And he's our experience of humility in his death and resurrection on the... True joy, true unity, true partnership in this church family. Or... Would he call you out as a grumbling, complaining, dissatisfied person, a Uriah Heap type character, driven by self-interest, satisfied merely to signal 
uh, sorry, it's satisfied merely to virtue signal humility while keeping your distance from Christ personally and keeping a guarded commitment to obedience. So my final sentence takes you to the chilling reality of verse 21. So if you've got your Bible open, open, look at it now. There's a chilling reality in this verse. And I want to suggest to you this morning that every one of us finds ourselves in this verse. Let me read it to you. They all seek their own interests. Wow, what a statement that is. The idea of humility, seeing the mind of Christ in action, is obviously a rare thing for Paul. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So here's the, here's the question. I say you're, we're all in that verse. The only question is which clause of that verse, there's two clauses, which clause best describes you? Humility, frequently used word. But Paul says here it's a very rare commodity indeed in the church. Which clause describes you? Let me pray. Lord, I pray again, as I've prayed so often after opening your word, that we stand exposed before it. Your word is that uh, living two-edged sword that divides deep into our hearts and exposes that which is truly there. So Lord, help us to contemplate that verse 21 in all its chilling reality. That in the church community such as ours, that word humility can be used so frequently. And yet, if what Paul says is true there, it's actually something that approximates or some caricature of humility. But true humility is a rare commodity. Help us then, Lord, to find ourselves as those who are truly interested in the welfare and, and advancing the honor of Christ. Amen.